Well, thank you so much for this opportunity again. And thank you so much that I may be part of this amazing family, this giving family with, a, with great hearts. Um, the message is about the tabernacle today, and what I would like to achieve here is to just give you a brief introduction on the tabernacle and look at the purpose of the tabernacle. And in doing so, looking at how it implies to our lives today, here and now. So are you ready? <laughs> Yay. <laughs> right, the tabernacle is such a big topic that you can't cover this in one meeting. It's really impossible. So I would like to just do an introduction today. Um, the tabernacle was the central focus of the most successful culture that God placed on the, on this, uh, on the face of this earth. It was a central focus of their entire life. Exodus 25, um, verse 1 to 8, gives all the intricate detail of the material that will be needed to build this tabernacle. When you read that, and you have any building background, um, you realize that God planned this to the absolute T. Every detail was woven together and had a, had a purpose. The purpose of the tabernacle we find in verse 8. And verse 8 says, So that I may dwell with you. So that I may dwell with you. So the whole point of the tabernacle was God dwelling with people. And of course, this is nothing new. The entire Bible is full of God's deliberate, intentional intent to dwell with people. If you look at the end of the Bible, Revelation 21.3, it says, Finally, the tabernacle of God is with man. So at the end of the Bible, there's this universal sigh of relief, saying the tabernacle is now with man. In other words, what God intended all along is actually now happening. In John 1, he describes the Messiah and he says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now the Hebrew word for dwelt there is tabernacle. So you could have easily translated that sentence into, And the Word became flesh and tabernacled with us. So what does this mean? It means that Jesus, um, he was the embodiment of what the tabernacle was trying to accomplish. Everything in the Old Testament um, points to the Messiah. Absolutely everything. I was just thinking yesterday, the very first sentence in the Bible, in the beginning God made heaven and earth, Jesus mentioned twice. It wasn't um, translated because they didn't know what it was. It was Aleph Tav, Aleph Tav. It came up twice. So everything in the Old Testament uh, points to the Messiah. Um, I'm sure that we all agree that Jesus is the Messiah. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus is now in you and in me. So in essence, we are the tabernacle. Please allow me just to make two observations quickly. If God um, spent an incredible amount of effort in planning out every intricate detail of a man-made tabernacle, how much more did he spend on you? One writer said it this way, 
you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every dream God had for you to show the world what God looks like is already in you. He's, he's placed it in you. Every single furnishing um, necessary for your life is already in you. In 2 Corinthians 6.16, listen to this. What fellowship has Christ with Belial and what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. <laughs> See, if, if you want to understand who you are, you have to understand the tabernacle because God gives you, uh, called you the tabernacle. So if you look at all the detail and the amount of money spent on the inside of this tabernacle, it's just phenomenal. If you look at the menorah, for example, I mean, the menorah is made out of 40 kilograms of solid gold. That's one furniture piece. Probably worth about three million in today's terms. Um, and the glory of God in this tabernacle was so amazing that even the man that saw God face to face could not tolerate, he couldn't stand that, that glory. Which brings me to my next ob observation. If the glory of God rested on a man-made tabernacle was so great that um, the, the, the man who saw God face to face couldn't stand it, how much more is the glory of God to rest on you and on me? If we are the tabernacle, how much more are we to be the carriers of God's glory to the world around us? Um, uh, I'm not going to do every single furniture piece because there is just no time, but I could not resist in showing you just a little bit of the outside of this tabernacle. I'm going to just uh, show you the outer curtain, and I'm going to speak a little bit about the Poland to show you how the, the, the incredible, uh, what's that word, please, <laughs> intricate detail of the, the planning of this whole thing. As I said, Jesus is seen in every single piece in the tabernacle, and so are you, and so are me. Can we show that, um, that pole? Yeah, there we go. It's only half a pole, though, but anyway, I'll fill you in on the rest. If you read um, Exodus 28, you can read, uh, study this on your own as to how God told them to do this. But he told them that the, the outer uh, court must be white linen. It's about 2.2, 2.3 meters high. And that, um, outer, that linen was to be held up by six acacia wood poles. Now, just to um, concentrate on that for a little bit. Um, in Hebrew, there's no numbers, but every um, letter represents a number. And if you see a number in the Bible, there's always a story behind this. A, a, a letter corresponds with a number. So to get to 60, you take 10 and 6. You multiply 10 by 6, right? 6, always the, the, um, the number of man. It represents the incompleteness of man. And 10 represents the responsibility of man. The foundation, he said, needs to be brass, like that foundation over there. And that represents suffering and judgment. 
But now here comes the good news, and that's the part that you can't see. I don't know if, it, if there's another image of the tabernacle that you can actually see the, the top part, this part here, over there. That was silver. It was a silver cap. Now, um, silver represents re uh, redemption. And if you read in the Torah and the Old Testament, silver um, was... Uh, 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 Slaves were bought and sold for silver. Now, I'm thinking about Jesus being sold for 30 pieces of silver. And if you read the Torah, it says that, sil that 30 pieces of silver was a fair price for a slave. The Son of Man sold for that. Wow. Now, every pole was held up by goat's hair and a nail in the ground. Now, I don't know if if there's people that was present when I spoke on the two goats last time. But sin always represents, uh, goat's hair always represents sin because they put the sin on the goat. And the nail was half in, half out. <laughs> this is so fascinating. Um, that obviously speaks of resurrection. I'm just now going to give you a quick summary statement on the... Um, of the Messiah as seen in the tabernacle from the outside. Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. This gate is the way gate. I'll talk about the gates uh, more later. But it was called the way gate. And that gate was um, made um, of, of linen, obviously, but colors. There's four colors in that. And every color represents um, an image of God, an image of Jesus, uh, which you'll find in the Gospels, in the four Gospels. It's fascinating. It really is. Okay, here we go. This is the summary statement of, the, of looking at the tabernacle just from the outside. So by the way, if you look from the outside, it looks pretty ordinary, hey? And that's one of the messages of the, of the, tem, of the tabernacle is, it's better to be like ordinary and beautiful inside than the other way around. <laughs> here, here we go. The perfect man whose inner beauty far exceeds the outward took on the responsibility for the shortcomings of man, the bold. This responsibility let him suffer for the redemption of man's sin. But ultimately, the ground couldn't hold him. The nail was half in, half out. The king of kings, son of man's ultimate sacrifice, came from heaven to become the way into the presence of God. Now this is a message just by looking at the outside of the tabernacle. I don't know. It, to me, it's like amazing. <laughs> so, Shot, let me show you a basic drawing of the tabernacle. It's very schematic, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you. Um, yeah, there we go. The tabernacle consists of an outer court, an inner court, and the Holy of Holies. And there's seven pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. As you walk into the altar um, for burnt offerings, um, you walk in and you get the, um, the altar of the burnt offerings. The laver was to the side, though. This is a schematic drawing. That is wrong. The laver should be on that side. Um, so... As you walk in there was an altar for burn offerings to the right with a laver then. They would bring in the animals and they would kill them and they would sacrifice them. But now in between the offerings, 
they would wash their hands and their feet in that laver that you see there, um, because they were commanded to have clean hands and clean feet as they sacrifice. Um, so, in the inner court, you had the, um, the menorah, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, and in the Holy of Holies, you had one piece of furniture with three things in it. It was, it was the Ark of the Covenant. Now, each of these points to Messiah and points to you and points to me. The center point of the tabernacle um, is obviously the brazen altar. And the center point of Jesus' life was the cross. The cross is simply a raised-up altar. The Bible says, Jesus said, Behold, um, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So the cross is also seen in the, in the tabernacle. If you draw a line between all the main furniture pieces in the tabernacle, you get a, a, horizon, a horizontal and a vertical line over there, which uh, points to the cross. And then the laver kind of on the side, um, which is very interesting. What would have been, uh, what would have been in this laver? Blood and water mixed. Am I right? So what came out of Jesus' side? Blood and water. So you see, Jesus himself is seen in the tabernacle as well as you and as well as me. Just a couple of introductory um, thoughts quickly. The tabernacle was a place that represented God to the people. It was a pathway to God. Now, this was a group of people that had no communion with God for years, and God is offering them now communion again. The tabernacle consisted in three courts, as I said, the, the um, outer court, the inner court, and the holy of holies. The three courts were separated by three gates. Those gates were called the way gate, the um, truth, and the life gate. <laughs> That's so fascinating. Um, it point, obviously points out to something that Jesus said. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> oh, this is so exciting. <laughs> no, serious. Um, he, was, he, he, he said that to Hebrew people. So what was he actually saying to them when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life? He was saying, I am the tabernacle. This thing that you've been doing to get close to God, I'm actually the real deal. Can you now see why they killed him? <laughs> they called it blasphemy, really. But I think closer than that is that he took money from their pockets. Because if you are a priest and you sacrifice, you do sacrifices every single day of your life, thousands. The Torah says that, they must, that you get part of that um, offering as a, as a sort of a um, salary. So what does that make you? Pretty rich. And now this guy comes along and he says, listen, this is not actually necessary. I'm the real deal. <laughs> so yeah, there's no, it's no wonder why they actually killed him. Um, so yeah, that's what he said. The thing that you've been doing um, to get close to God, I'm actually a better way than this. Um, now, and, and now this guy comes along and says, hey, this was actually a shadow. I am the real deal. 
So, like I said, they called it blasphemy, but I think it was always be uh, also because they, they were getting um, wealthy on spiritual guilt, and Jesus was going to not tolerate that. The tabernacle contains seven pieces, as I said. Seven is the number of completion. The three cords correspond to your body, your soul, and your spirit. The tabernacle is three in one. God is three in one. Um, you'll find a lot of your, of, the, of your truths of your body, for example, in the outer court. You'll find a lot of your uh, truths about your, your soul in the inner court and a lot of truths about your spirit in the, in the Holy of Holies. Um, the last one that I want to mention is you are the tabernacle of God, the representation of God to the whole world. Now, to better understand this whole thing, we need to back up a little bit. Okay, so we're going to back up twice. I'm just going to take you from where these people received the word from God uh, about the tabernacle, and I'm going to take you to Genesis quickly to show you where it actually started. In Exodus 19.3, um, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob. And tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. I want you to remember this. You will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you have to speak to the Israelites. This is so rich in meaning. Who are these people? Um, they're the Israelites. Where do they come from? They've been in slavery for 430 years. Now, we read over that 430, and I think we, uh, like, yeah, 430. I worked out yesterday, Jan van Riebeek arrived here on this um, piece of Africa 368 years ago. So now these people have been in slavery for much longer than that. They had no days off. They were defined by the bricks they made. They were absolutely useless. Their men were beaten, their women were raped repeatedly without any um, recourse. Now, this same group of, group of people is now standing at a mountain and hear these words, and God will meet with you. Don't you think that's kind of scary? <laughs> They don't know a loving God. If they look at the Egyptian gods, I mean, they were takers, they were mean. And, you know, it's, like, it's, it's, it's a scary thing. The history of Israel is very interesting. It's like the history of you and me. It's a journey like, like we do. It's a journey out of slavery into freedom, and oftentimes back into slavery. Delivered again, back into slavery, and delivered again. The Israelites were in slavery for 430 years, and God delivers them from there. But the Old Testament ends very poorly at a, and at a loss. They were back in slavery again. The scholars tell us that they were 400 years from the end of the Old Testament to where um, Matthew started writing the Gospels. Now, listen how interesting this is. Jesus gets born. 30 years later, he started his ministry on earth. Now, that is fascinating. Um, 430 years in slavery, and then they're free. 
Then in slavery again, and now God is meeting with them in Exodus 19, and he doesn't just save them. This is so important. He doesn't save them. He gives them two things. He gives them a new identity and a new mission. That's what he gave them. To use today's religious jargon, um, God is saying it's not enough for you to get saved. He wants you to be free. <laughs> he wants you to live with a new identity. He wants to give you a new mission. He doesn't want you to be safe, like, uh, 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 to be safe people living like slaves. He wants you to be heirs, living like heirs. So he says, listen, I got you out of Egypt, out of slavery. And of course, it's important to remember where you're coming from because, I mean, it's um, often if we don't remember where God takes us out of, it's very easy to look down to other people who's, who's in the same situation. So he says, I got you out of Egypt now. Um, you are going to be my people, my holy people. That is the new identity that he gave them. You're going to be my holy people. You're not going to be slaves anymore. You're going to be free now. And the second thing that he gave them is the new mission. Um, he, he, he said to them that uh, you are going to be a kingdom of priests. So, so what does a priest do? A, a priest basically just represents God to the people. A priest is a man who officially represents God to the people he serves. That is what a priest is. So here is your mission, your job. You're going to show the whole world what it looks like when you live my way. And um, you are going to be so blessed that other nations will, um, will want to be in on what you're doing. Now, to further understand that, I'm just going to take you some, um, you know, a little bit back to Genesis, because this is where it all started. Genesis 2 um, was the start of this group of people. In verse 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man from the dust um, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. So God formed Adam, the word is Adam in Hebrew, from dust. The word is Adama. He, he formed Adam from Adama, and he breathed in his nostrils. So man is a mystical union between something that's natural, dust, and something that's spiritual, the breath of God. Um, man is basically what happens when heaven and earth collide. This, this to me is also so fascinating. Um, Man is supposed to be the picture of what happens when God is living in the flesh here on earth. That is what man was supposed to be. Um, we, of course, failed that, and then God sent Jesus, God in the flesh, to show what it looks like when God lives among you. But the original intent um, was for us to be that, to show the world what God looks like. And of course, man lost this in Genesis 3.24. Um, and it says, And Jehovah God, this is the most saddest words I've ever read, And Jehovah God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to toy the ground from which you were taken. Um, interesting imagery here. What was the basis of man's life? The breath of God. Am I right? So his union with God was the basis for for his whole life, and now he's lost that. So God sends him out of the presence of God and have him toil the ground. 
Where was man made? From the dust, from the ground. So God, in, uh, in essence, says here, you are going to toil the ground, and this is going to serve as a reminder that you busted up everything that you could have been. You need your union with God. Now, this is even getting worse. In Genesis 3.24, he drove them out and placed sheriffs um, on the east end of the garden to guard the tree of life. So what is happening now? Man is uh, outside looking in, um, looking into the garden. He's now separated from the very thing that gives him life. And when man is separated from his life source, it only reaps bad dividends. This escalates even, even worse into Genesis 6, where man gets separated and it does not go well for him. When you live your life separate from God, it will never, ever go well with you. And it's not a matter of saved and not saved. It's not a matter of sin and not sin. It's a matter of life and death, life and darkness. It's a matter of living abundantly and living not abundantly. Your salvation is between you and God. I'm talking about your life today, here, now. You see, when you step out of, outside of God, it will bring death instead of life. It will bring darkness instead of light. In other words, you'll spin your wheels and you'll have no traction. Uh, watch what happens in Genesis 6. And Jehovah saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God repented that he made man on the earth. He was angry at his own heart. So in Exodus 19, God offers them their union back. So in essence, he's saying, you've lost your union, and all it got you was a, was a pile of slavery. I'm offering you a chance to come back to me. This is what the tabernacle is all about. It's man's chance to reconnect with God. But it wasn't just to reconnect with God. It was to be something different. It was to show the whole world what God looks like. To be a representation of God to the world. I find Exodus 6, 28 so interesting. This is how God operates. I want to just share this with you. Are, are we all still okay here? Yeah. Am I going too fast? Or, no, I'm trying to rush because I'm, I know, you know the time. <laughs> is a problem. Um, right, now, in Exodus, this is what, what it says. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of the, uh, Egypt, everything that I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. I'm going to read it again. I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. This is a huge distinction, and I want you to see this today. God sends Moses to Pharaoh, and Moses is objectionist. No, you know, I'm sorry, I stutter. And God essentially says, I didn't say anything about articulating a message. What I'm talking about is you being a message. I want a human being to be like God to Pharaoh. I want a human being to show Pharaoh what God is like when he's lived out. 
You see, God never called us to articulate a message. He didn't. He called us to be a message. He doesn't give Moses a pamphlet, a track, a Roman's road, spiritual laws, or part of the Torah. Um, he doesn't give him a message to articulate. He gives him a message, um, a mission to become. That's what he gave him. So God chooses to show up at Pharaoh in the form of a human being. So the principle of Exodus 7 is that God chooses. It sounds weird, but it is. It, it, the principle of Exodus 6 is that God chooses to need a body of flesh and blood. A body of Christ. Um, a body of God. God has been looking for a body to duplicate himself, um, himself to the world since Exodus 7. And, um, in Exodus 19, he says this to a group of people, that they are going to be a kingdom of priests. You are going to be like God to people. The picture of what God looks like is going to come from you and I. What a huge responsibility. And he offers them two things. He offers them an invitation to restore their communion with him. And then they are invited to be a message. Not to articulate one, to be one. So in Exodus 19, he says, I want you to meet with me and then go um, and be a message. I want you to meet with me in the tabernacle and then go and be a message. Does that not sound like church to you? <laughs> this um, is what the rabbi said was the birth of the church. Um, Jesus announced it this way. This is fascinating. And I've, I've spoken about this before, so sorry if you hear it for the second time. This guy comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, how can I follow you? And Jesus gave him an answer that really didn't make sense. He says to him, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has got a place to, raise, a place to lay his head. So the church interpreted that as God was poor. God wasn't, wasn't poor. Jesus wasn't poor. He was the most sought after speaker in that time. Um, he was the number one public speaker in, in that culture that believed that you bless the people who teach you God's word. It's called Teroma. And remember that the Hebrew people thinks function, not form. So foxes have holes. What do they do, uh, do in holes? They reproduce in holes. Birds don't sleep in nests, they reproduce in nests. So what is God... What is Jesus saying to this man? He says, foxes have holes to reproduce themselves. Birds have nests to reproduce themselves. But the son of man hasn't got a body to put his head on in order to reproduce himself. That's what he said to him. A later writer says it this way. We, as one body, grows up into him who is the head. So in Exodus 19, it is the same thing that Jesus referred to when he says foxes have holes and birds have nests. God is always looking for a body to reproduce himself to the world. Will you and I be a part of that? In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. In 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says, Sorry, 1 Corinthians 3.16, he says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you, just like in the Holy of Holies? 
So you and I are now responsible to do what the tabernacle did, to be a flesh and blood representation of God in this world. This is nothing new. God had been looking for a body since Exodus 19. And we are supposed to be like God in this world. And there's plenty to do. Yesterday I, had, I followed some stats on just hunger and where, where we are at in the world today with COVID, with, with um, so many hungry people. There's so many. And uh, yeah, it, 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 it's just simply depressing if you look at all these stats. I mean... Most of African countries, 70% of them live under the breadline. Um, 21,000 um, people, mostly children, die of hunger every day. And in South Africa, it's very difficult to quantify uh, the number of people in need in this crisis because it's like, so difficult. But um, it says here that 34% of people in South Africa have gone to bed hungry during lockdown. Um, there were millions of people living in poverty before COVID-19, and millions more now need food urgently. There's 68,000 people <laughs> that dies of AIDS every year. Every second, every six seconds in Africa, there's a rape. And you know, we, we look at all this and we, we say, God, where are you in this? And I believe today God is saying, no, where are you? I'm in you. He has equipped us to bring life to the world. <laughs> He's equipped us to show what God looks like to this world. He's equipped us to place the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. My Hebrew teacher, he often uses this as an example, and such a good example, so I'm going to follow it. <laughs> it's a lady in South Africa that he speaks about, Ni. He talks about this lady, they, as a family, I think they lived on a farm in Joburg, and they went on holiday, and they came back, and there were just shacks all over their property, and the government said, sorry. And what this lady did was, she went in there, and she offered them basic medicine, basic medication. She did not articulate a message. She was the message at first. Through, by doing that, she built one of the biggest churches in that area. Just by show, by be the message of God to people. It is, it, I find it fascinating. So where is God? No, where are you and where am I? Now, I just want to say this. This family is an amazing family. And I know that the people here are actually... I mean, I'm an example of that. I know I've, I've um, experienced this the loving um, hearts of people in this. So this is not a message saying give more, honestly. This is just by showing you that there's a mission and a new identity that we need to grab hold of and that we need to carry out there. Again, where's God in this? No, where am I and where are you? God is found in the lady who's doing things for the underprivileged people. God is handing out food parcels. <laughs> God is handing out medicine. God is starting divorce classes for people who went through that painful experience. Um, he's starting grief classes for people who went through that painful experience of grieving. He's starting marriage classes. 
He's helping restoring people who lost their dignity. You know, the, the main thing of a slave driver is to take away your dignity. And we are here to restore that dignity to people who've lost it. Because God has set us free, all of us. He's helping restoring people who lost their dignity. He's making a phone call to someone who feels that they're not um, welcome here anymore. He's volunteering at an orphanage. He's feeding people at a soup kitchen. He's encouraging someone down and out. He's helping a person who wants to see God. You see, God is looking for a group of people to be the message, not to articulate everything that we are against. For you and I, we are the tabernacle. Just four questions, and you don't even have to answer this. It's just in your heart. But I find it good to reflect on these to just see where I'm at. And believe you me, this message is for me. First question is, what has God delivered you from? Like I said before, it's very important to remember what God has delivered you from, for if you don't, it, uh, it, it becomes so easy to look down to other people who's going through the same. Secondly, is what is the mission that God has given you and me? Remember that you and I, we are the tabernacle. And the third question is, who can you be like God today? Who needs a phone call, a word of encouragement, a hug, a statement of faith? And the last question is, are you willing to pay the price to be the message? There's no price in articulating a message. That's pretty easy. To be the message is a different story. I just want to have a, a drop of water and then can we pray? Father God, we come to you in the, in the name of Jesus and we thank you so much for being such an incredible God. Thank you, Father God, for your word that is so rich so rich and so full and so alive and it speaks to our daily lives today here now father god thank you so much that you ascribed worth to us in such a way that you made us tabernacles to house your spirit and thank you almighty god that you equip us with the furnishings to to reach every goal and every dream that you have placed in our hearts Father God, I, I pray today that you will show us where we can be God to the world. Maybe a hug, maybe a phone call, maybe just a smile. Show us to be like God to the world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.